Good morning. My name is Will. I'm the pastor here at Kern Church. Kern Church is a church that's committed to creating belonging and hope by connecting you with a life renewed by Jesus. And my hope for day is that you today is that you find hope, you find belonging in a life renewed by Jesus and deeply committed to other folks. Let me say a, a word of prayer for us this morning, for you this morning, as we continue to worship God. Loving one, thank you so much for drawing your church together this day. I pray for each one who is gathered here in person at Kern Church, who is searching for belonging and searching for hope in a life renewed by you, and pray also for all those who are gathered online. May you bring hope to the hopeless. May you bring strength to those who need strength. May you be, bring healing to those who need healing. And, and most of all, oh God, may you be lifted high this morning as your church joins together in your praise. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. This past week we saw once again tragedy fall around the world, especially with the earthquakes in, earthquake in Syria and in Turkey place of the world, especially Syria, that's known devastation and only devastation really for a decade by this point. This is also the place where the church in a large way was born. So many places that you read, out, read of in the Bible are in Syria and in Turkey. And I want you to know that uh, we're going to spend some, some time in prayer, praying over this uh, disaster and the, the prayers that I'm going to lead you in is a prayer exercise that, that I joined in yesterday from, uh, from a, the 24-7 20, prayer movement. And, and the prayers that we're, we're praying are specific requests that were sent in from folks who were on the ground in Syria and in Turkey. I want you to also know that one of the great joys of being United Methodist is that we we are able to partner and do things beyond ourselves, really, and, and to have a, a greater impact around the world. And so, for example, we have one, one of the agencies that's connected to the United Methodist Church is the United Methodist Committee on Relief, also known as UMCOR. And UMCOR is usually one of the first places on the ground providing real relief for folks when they're struggling. And, and the great thing about UMCOR is that when you, when you give to UMCOR, you, mostly when you give to UMCOR uh, during a disaster or some other uh, relief event, 100% of that gift goes to provide relief because all the administrative costs are part of what we participate in as United Methodists. It's part of taking care of being a United Methodist. And so I give God thanks for that part of the United Methodist Church that's able to provide relief. So right now, I, I want to share with you a, a passage of Scripture from Romans that's, that's written by the Apostle Paul, who came from Tarsus, which is in modern-day Turkey. So Paul is from the same area that's experienced devastation. And, 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 and as, as I read this passage, I'm reminded of, of how God helps us, and I hope that you are reminded of how God provides help. And then we're going to go into just kind of, kind of a meditative prayer exercise where I, I'm going to say something and then invite you to lift up your own prayers, uh, prayers uh, for, this, for this worldwide tragedy. Let's hear these words from Paul from Romans chapter 8. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have been the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons and the redemption of our bodies. Likewise, the Spirit, the Spirit helps in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought to pray. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches our hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So now I want to invite you, and maybe you don't have a picture of this place, but I want to invite you to picture some particular aspect of the tragedy. Or maybe you know tragedy in your own life and destruction in your own life. And imagine what people perhaps are going through right now. Shattered lives, shattered hearts, broken this week. And one of the ancient prayers of the church is praying this prayer. You say a a petition and then the church will respond, Lord, have mercy. And so as, as, as I share these petitions that have been that have been shared worldwide through some folks on the ground, I invite you just to pray in your heart, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. As we imagine God's redemption and God's hope in the midst. Lord, have mercy. Breathe in and exhale slowly as we remember the lament and the pain that God experiences too, Lord, have mercy. We lift up frontline workers on the ground in Syria and Turkey, asking for prayer today in three particular ways. As I lift these prayers to you, O God, your people say in their heart, Lord, have mercy. King of kings, I pray today in line with 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 for the leadership in Turkey and Syria, for President Erdogan and al-Assad of Syria, that their governments will cut through the bureaucracy and corruption to lead courageously in granting free access to the aid agencies seeking to serve on the ground. Lord, have mercy. God of shalom, God of peace, in the chaos of this crisis, I cry out for divine connections and a spirit of cooperation instead of competition. Would you streamline the important relationships between NGOs and suppliers and churches and other agencies for the sake of those who who are suffering the most. Lord, in Your mercy. Holy Spirit, You who brooded over the formless void and created order, protect and provide for those who are grieving, those who are homeless, and those bringing emergency relief. I pray also for Your church in these ancient Bible lands. Anoint Your people at this time to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted. 
Lord, have mercy. O Lord, it's easy to numb myself against the suffering in places like Turkey and Syria and even to ignore the pain of people that I meet. So I choose to look at life a little more carefully today. Listening more intently. Relating more empathetically. And pausing whenever I discover pain to pray, Lord, have mercy. Oh Lord, hear our prayer. Amen. As a kid, I remember... I remember uh, when my dad's mom, my grandmother, uh, just remarried or got remarried to a man named Bill, and, and Bill was older than she was, and he didn't have um, he he didn't have any kids, and so when when we got married. When they got married, we became his grandkids, and, and he was uh, just a, a great person, a really neat person. He was very hard of hearing um, because he served on, he was in the Navy in World War II, and, and the guns that were on the ship, it was right there, and, and just really uh, destroyed his hearing. After the war, he worked for TVA and, and, and walked the mountains and valleys and ridges mapping, uh, mapping the Tennessee Valley and, and, and creating the maps for for the Tennessee Valley. I imagine that um, if, if I was able to, to know him, at least when he had been younger, that I, he would have had such amazing stories. I remember trying to listen to his stories, which was really hard because he was hard of hearing, and, and, and my grandmother always needed to say something on top of him and wouldn't ever allow him to you know, share the kind of stories that, that we might have wanted to hear, but that was okay. I, I remember Christmas time when our family would go visit, and he would always, and maybe you know people like this, or maybe you were like this, he would always take such care in unwrapping presents. He had a, a small pocket knife, okay, and, and he would take the, the small gifts that were given and, 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 and he, would, he would use that pocket knife to carefully cut the tape carefully, you know, roll back the wrapping paper. As a child, this bothered me so much because I just wanted to get into my presence and, and, and the, the wrapping paper was just an impediment of getting into the paper. But it, it's, he took so much care to open the gift that, that it seemed as if the wrapping was as precious as what might be in the gift itself. And, and, and then as he would dutifully unwrap the paper, then he would then set it to the side, carefully folding it, I guess ready for uh, for another use. And then, of course, it would always seem that, you know, there was never need for Tupperware containers because there were empty butter containers around, and, and then things like aluminum foil and plastic wrap or reusable. Today, we would say that this was um, sustainable, right? Today, you would call this sustainable. Today, you would call this green. Uh, if you look at the consumer landscape these days, of course, there are so many things that people are trying to sell you to, to decrease your carbon footprint, to, to do things to reduce the amount of waste that you create. As a child, I found this behavior odd because it was nothing that we did. It was nothing that I was familiar of doing. And I was always thinking, you know, where did this behavior come from? Is this just something all old people do? Like when I get old, will I, will I take a pocket knife and, and open presents that, that I'm given? I, I had no idea what was going on. Looking back, of course, 
I am sure that so much of this behavior, so much was, was because when he grew up, he grew up and came of age during the Great Depression, a, a time when there was so much scarcity as so many, so many families experienced. Much of, his, uh, much of his values and the way that he lived were formed at a time when there was so much scarcity. I'm sure that, that many of you have your own stories of parents or grandparents or, or, or perhaps even yourself that were, that were defined by, by the depression or even times of scarcity as well. And it affected some of the things that, that the people that you know did perhaps for the rest of their lives. I, I oftentimes, as I was thinking about this, wondering, I wonder what I wonder what living through the heights of the COVID-19 pandemic, I wonder what kind of long-term effects this will have on, on, on us, on me, especially as I grow older. I wonder if my grandkids will, will go up to my kids, to their parents, and say, why does grandpa have so much toilet paper in the basement? I mean, if you lived through the spring of 2020, you know why. Because you never know when you're going to run out and not be able to get more. But then, you know, of course, as, as people complain about things, and maybe one of the complaints of, of my generation, and probably you as you get older, is that supply chain. You know, you just can't get things because of the supply chain, and, and you don't really probably know what all goes into the supply chain and what that means. But, you know, you can just blame everything on the supply chain. Now, scarcity of goods over the past couple years has not, for the most part, really been as extreme as, as life during the Depression, but it's still demonstrated to you and, and to me what it is like when things are scarce. What's it like when things are scarce? Even if we're not living in a time of, of scarcity, real scarcity, or a time when the shelves are bare, scarcity is, is still something that affects you. Scarcity is something I think that affects us all. Scarcity is about money, but it's not only about money. Scarcity can manifest itself in so many different areas of your life. For example, just look at your week, your upcoming week. If you look at your calendar, do you feel as if you have enough time for the week ahead, for the things that you have to get done in the week? Do you feel when it Thursday and Friday comes that you were able to accomplish everything that you did? You know, often I feel like there are so many people and so many things that are vying for my time and my attention, and then my phone and my email are constantly screaming for attention, and because of this, sometimes it just feels like, you know, I'm, I'm stuck in mud and the scarcity of my time, it just, it just isn't there, and and this, of course, creates emotional scarcity where you're not really able to be, to be present with those that matter the most in your life. I mean, have you ever felt this way? You ever felt this way? And thinking about our current message series about money and about earning and saving and, and spending and giving, it also, it also strikes me uh, by, by how much scarcity comes into the conversation. Now, I can't seem... To earn enough. I can't seem to save enough. I, I can't seem to get out of bad debt 
quickly enough. Or, or, and all of this, you know, there's no way that I can, can really, all these problems, there's scarcity here, and there's no way I can really give, or at least give what I think God might be asking me to give to others or to the church or whatever the case. And, and then even if I can give, I, I know that I can only give such a small amount that, that nobody will really notice, and, and nobody will really seem to care. And so if I don't give it to the church or to, to, any, to anybody else, that that people won't really care because it's not a significant amount anyways. And when I really start to think about this, I, 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 I think this is another one of those lies that, that money tries to tell you. you. You see, money talks and tries to tell you to believe things about yourself, to believe things about it. It, it says things like, chase me, hoard me, use me to, to buy things that you think are going to make you happy or, or worship me. And then there's another lie that money speaks. And, and as I start thinking about it, I think perhaps this is, is one of the lies that money speaks that probably serves as a foundation for the rest of the lies. And, and it is this, I am scarce. I am scarce. This is, this is the justification lie of why you need to chase money. This is why you, you might believe that you need to hoard money because there come a point when you're never going to get any more. So you've got to get as much as you can. And, and, and while money isn't evil in and of itself, this lie of scarcity, it comes from the evil one. It comes from the evil one. It comes from the evil one. And it says there is not enough. There is not enough. So look out for yourself and look out for those that look like you. Here's the thing, God says something completely different. Money and the evil one says, says, look out for yourself because money is scarce, but God says something completely different. You see, God, the, the creator of the universe, created everything out of abundance. God, the creator of the universe, created everything out of the abundance, and God, the creator of the universe, invites you, invites you to partner with him in this abundance. The evil one says, there will never be enough. But God says, I am enough. And I have created more than enough for you. And I want to show you how this abundance is, is, is even present in creation, God says. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to show you where, where God creates everything out of abundance. And then also I'm going to show you how Jesus invites you into this abundance. And I think that as you see this, as you feel this in your heart, it can provide liberation for you in, in what God really desires for you. I love what an Old Testament scholar, a guy by the name of Walter Brueggemann, wrote about this abundance created in God's creation. It says that the Bible starts out with a liturgy of abundance. The Bible starts out with a liturgy of abundance. Genesis 1, he says, is a song of praise for God's generosity. So let's look at this song of praise. If you have a Bible and want to follow along, I'm going to be looking at a few verses. The very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And Genesis chapter 1 just really gives us a, a poetic look at creation and God, divides God's creative spirit into six days. So, so, here's, so here's how the first day went. When, when God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea. And God's wind swept over the waters. God said, let there be light. And so light appeared. 
God saw how good the light was. After each day of creating abundance, the writer of Genesis 1 stops and says, God saw how good it was. After describing how things were created, the writer stops and, and reflects on God's Spirit and, and, and says that God saw how good it was. Day one, God saw how good it was. Day two, God saw how good it was. Day three, day four, day five, God saw how good it was. And then on day six, we read that, that God made all the living things. And, and then down in verse 26, we read even further, then God said, let us make humanity in our image to resemble us so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea the birds and the sky the livestock and all the earth and all the crawling things on the earth God created humanity in God's own image and the divine image God created them male and female God created them God blessed them and said to them be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and master it take charge of the fish of the sea the birds in the sky and every crawling thing on the ground, that after God creates humanity and gives this charge, God then gives His people, God then gives the humanity that was created a generous gift of abundance. So, so God, creates the, God creates His children, God creates all people, and then God gives them a, a generous gift of abundance. Verse 29, then God said, now I give you all the plants on the earth that yield seeds and all the trees whose fruit produces its seeds within it. These will be your food. To all the wildlife, to all the birds in the sky and every crawling thing on the ground, to everything that breathes, I give all the green grasses for food. And that's what happened. God saw everything He had made. It was supremely good. If you notice, God gives everything. God gives everything. God gives in abundance. God gives generously to the humans and to the animals. God said there is no scarcity. There is no need for want. God, gives, God is inherently filled with generosity. And this generosity of God becomes then the hallmark of His new creation. And this whole relationship among humans and, and, and God and the rest of creation, God isn't either, even playing favorites here. God isn't playing favorites. God doesn't set up a system where scarcity reigns. Instead, God is full of generosity and abundance. Generosity and abundance is at the core of all that God desires. So now let us look at, let's look at, at God's calling to humanity. Because God creates humanity out of abundance, then God gives this beautiful gift to humanity, and then God invites humanity to be a part of it. God gives you a purpose to accomplish. God gives you something to do. God created humanity and then told humanity, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Now I bet you, you, you usually have this idea that, that when God says be fruitful and multiply, that God is talking about procreation. That God is talking about people getting married and people having children and then children having children and on and on and on. The, the biological systems of, of procreation is part of what God is talking about. But this charge to you to be fruitful and to multiply is so much more. It's so much more than procreation. What, what this means is that God has built creation on the basis of generosity. 
Creation contains much, much more than, than what is needed to sustain. And, and God doesn't say, be careful and don't take risks. God doesn't say, God doesn't say you know, there's only so much to go around, so, so, so just be careful. Instead, God says, God says there is so much abundance that you are invited to share in this generosity. God says there is so much abundance that you are invited to share. You are invited to be fruitful and to multiply. You are made like God, which means that you are, you are, me, you are made for caring for and working in creation in the same way that God creates. Creating with abundance and creating with generosity. I love the way the, the Brueggemann, the Old Testament scholar I mentioned just a few moments ago, talks about this. He says that everything in its kind, everything is meant to multiply the overflowing goodness that pours from God's creator spirit. Everything that God's create, God creates is meant to, to, to multiply God's overflowing spirit. God crafted and defined creation out of abundance. How short, how short we have fallen. Too often you look at the world only through the eyes of scarcity and, 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 and even though you were created out of abundance, it can be hard to see this abundance. But this is where Jesus comes in and Jesus tries to help you because God didn't leave you alone. Jesus comes in and Jesus tries to help you. You see, God's abundance was not just and only present at creation Instead, when God sent Jesus out of God's life-giving spirit, that, that Jesus also teaches that abundance is, is, is alive even today. This time I'm going to be looking at, at Matthew chapter 14, and this is a story that Matthew tells us about how, how Jesus lived God's abundance and invites you, the people of God, to also live His abundance. So if you've got a Bible and want to follow along, looking at Matthew chapter 17, and here... Jesus has just found out some really difficult news. His friend had been killed, and so Jesus is sad. And he gets on a boat to go to a deserted place by himself so he can pray, so he can mourn, so he can do the things you do when, when you're in mourning. And we pick up this story in the second, ver or second part of verse 13. He gets away by himself, but, but the crowds learn about it. So when the crowds learn this, that Jesus was going to a place... They followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus arrived, he saw a large crowd, and he had compassion for them, healed those who were sick. Then that evening, his disciples came and said to him, this is an isolated place. So Jesus is doing work. He's healing people. He's teaching people. He's sad about himself, and so he probably wants time to himself, but instead he's doing work. He's like, I, I want to heal people. These people need me. These people need to feel the abundant spirit of God. And, and then his disciples look at their watches, and they say, okay, well, it's getting kind of late, and I'm getting kind of hungry. I'm ready to go home. And so um, they say to Jesus, this is an isolated place, and it's getting late, so why don't you send the people away so that they can go into villages and buy food for themselves? But Jesus says to them in, in verse 16, there's no need to send them away. You give them something to eat. Well, they replied, uh, I think they like looked around at each other and like, well, we're planning on feeding ourselves, so we've got like, there's 13 of them, 12 disciples and Jesus. We've got like five loaves of bread and two fish. And so we probably have enough for ourselves, but 
We don't have enough to feed these, these people who are here. So Jesus is helping these people, and his disciples come to him and say, hey, hey, we need to let these folks go home so they can eat. And Jesus just says, well, why don't you give them something to eat? We're doing good stuff here. You give them something to eat. Disciples look around. Their provisions are bare. Their scarcity is a problem. This, this five loaves of bread and two fish is probably enough to feed them for supper. I mean, it'll be a carb-rich supper, like five loaves of bread and two fish. And, but, but it's probably enough to hold them over till, till the next day. And later on, you learn that this is a huge crowd. In fact, there's over 5,000 people who, who are in the crowd. Uh, really, you know, maybe even close to 10,000 people who are in the crowd. And all they have are five loaves of bread and two fish. And the disciples understand the problem with scarcity. They see an immediate problem and realize that they don't have enough money and they don't have enough resources to fix the problem that they are facing. A large group of people who are about to get really hungry and many of them are probably going to get really hangry, right? And they're going to like start acting out and doing things that really hungry people do. And, and, but, but God, remember, God, remember, God created everything in abundance. So here's the other part of that. If God is going to ask you to do something, if God is going to ask you as an individual or ask your church to do something, God is going to provide the means to make it happen. And so when Jesus hears about this scarcity problem, he said to them in verse 18, bring them here to me. That's bring these loaves of bread and the two fish to me. We ordered the crowds to sit on the grass, and then he took five loaves of bread and two fish and looked up to heaven, blessed them, broke the loaves apart, and gave them to his disciples. Then the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate until they were full, and they filled 12 baskets with the leftovers. About 5,000 men plus women and children had eaten. Okay, it began with scarcity. Where there was scarcity, five loaves of bread and two fish, now in the hands of God there is abundance. 5,000 plus, like with women and children. Why do you don't count women and children? I don't know. But Matthew didn't feel a need to count women and children. We could probably have a whole commentary on that. But Matthew didn't feel the need to count women and children. But let's say, you know, at least you know, some women and children were there. Probably, you know, like at least as many men were there with women and children. So like 10,000 people perhaps. Um, and, or, or even more than that. Who knows? But like, so like 10,000 people, and they got five loaves of bread and two fish, and the disciples are realistic. They're like, we just don't have enough. Scarcity was what they saw all around them. But in the hands of God, there became abundance. Not only abundance, but they even had leftovers. If you consider that if Jesus and all his disciples together, they might have had enough food to eat for supper, these five loaves and two fish. But they wouldn't have had anywhere near enough to feed five to 10,000 people. You notice in this whole scenario, Jesus is unfazed. It doesn't bother him. Jesus is completely unfazed with this whole scenario. And so he asks for God's blessing. He's like, this is what we have. Lord, bless it. Bless it. And then God provides in abundance. In this, we see that God doesn't just provide, but God asks his followers to partner with God in the ministry of abundance. And this is the, the very order of creation. God charged you and I to, to work and live in, in abundance and, and, and to be fruitful and multiply, is what the writer of Genesis says of God. 
And Jesus reminds you that you have a role to play in God's abundance. You see, God, the creator of the universe, created everything out of abundance and invites you to partner with him in that abundance. And so I want to invite you to live into and with God's abundance. I want to invite, invite you to partner and to live into and with God's abundance. I, I often think that, that, that people don't think they have anything to offer God, or at least enough to offer God. Maybe some of you give a little bit of money to God or a little bit of your time to God, but it just doesn't seem that much or it doesn't even seem significant to you. But look at what Jesus did with five loaves of bread and two fish. Imagine what God could do with you and God could do for you when you trust what you do have to God. You see, you're not supposed to give what you don't have to God. You're supposed to give what you do have to God and God will use it. And then imagine what, imagine a whole church a whole church that, that looks beyond a history of budget shortfalls and dwindling participation into God's future of abundance. Imagine a whole church that, that, that looks beyond the, the territories of what we have always done and gives way to God in prayer. Imagine God's future of abundance. I want to invite you to see yourself to see yourself with God's abundance. Sometimes that means just opening your eyes to seeing the goodness of God in your life. Sometimes that means that, that you're on the lookout with eyes open for, for miracles that, that, are, that are happening around you, perhaps even to you. And I don't know about you, but I continue to pray for miracles at Kern Church. I continue to pray for them to happen through our church and in your lives. And I continue, I want you to know, I continue to see them to happen. And so I invite you to open your eyes Open your eyes to what you have to offer and see the abundance that God can do in and through you. Before I close, I want to share with you a story of God's abundance. And this is a story that I participated in, and it's also a story that, that I know that many of you participated in, and many of you will find this story familiar. A few years ago, the United Methodist Church started a campaign to work to eliminate malaria. I shared how one of the great things about being United Methodist is that we can do things together that we can't do by ourselves. And so this campaign to eliminate malaria was known as Imagine No Malaria. Perhaps some of you remember this. Since the initiative began, it's been highly successful. In fact, malaria deaths are down 60%. This is worldwide. Malaria deaths are around 60% from this time. And during this time, 4 million life-saving bed nets were provided 2.7 million people were treated for malaria. Over 175,000 structures were treated to, to, uh, to keep mosquitoes away. And thousands of community health workers were trained. In the midst of this, it was estimated that $10 was all it took to save a life from malaria. As the campaign was ramping up, our then bishop, Bishop James Swanson, gave a challenge to all the United Methodist churches in our area in the Holston Conference. And I remember sitting in the conference when Bishop Swanson gave this challenge to raise a million dollars in one year for Imagine No Malaria. Now, a million dollars equals 100,000 lives saved from malaria. And I remember sitting in this conference and knowing that the bishop was crazy. Knowing that he had lost his mind because never before had we raised a million dollars to do anything 
except to keep the lights on at the conference office. I don't know. Never before had we raised a million dollars. Sometimes we would raise tens of thousands of dollars or a hundred or $200,000 to do some type of really cool mission project, but never before had we raised anywhere close to a million dollars. Well, after he gave this challenge, I knew there was no way we'd do it. It was a great project. It was a great mission. And it was a great intervention to make a difference in the health of millions of people, uh, basically in Africa. But myself and those that I surrounded myself with thought it was unreasonable. After all, we only had five loaves of bread and two fish. We were, you know, some 800 some odd churches, many of whom had no more than 20 people in the congregation. We couldn't raise this kind of money. A year later, I remember going back to the conference knowing that we would be partway towards our goal and perhaps how would they manage the, 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 the shortfall, right? How would they manage communicating the shortfall to also still inspire? And when the announcement came to how much money we, were, we raised, it was announced that we did not raise a million dollars. In fact, we raised $1.2 million dollars. And so instead of 100,000 lives being saved, we were able to save, God was able to save through us 120,000 lives. And talk about God's abundance. Churches and youth groups and individuals from our area came together in the abundance economy of God and did creative things to raise money beyond what was ever imaginable to make this kind of of difference. I'm sure I felt like I'm sure the disciples that were sitting around Jesus when Jesus said, you know, feed these people, they probably felt a little bit like I felt. Like, you know, how stupid of me to think God can't do something, right? And this is the kind of abundance that is possible when you give it over to God. This is the kind of abundance that is possible when you give it over to God. When you give what little you have or what great you have over to the abundance of God, the evil one, the evil one says, there is not enough. The evil one says, there will never be enough. So be on the lookout for yourself and those that look like you. But God, God, the creator of the universe, created everything out of abundance and invites you to partner with Him in that abundance. So I invite you again, I invite you again to open your eyes to see what you do have to offer. To open your eyes to see what you do have to offer and to see the abundance that God can do in and through you. Let's pray. God, I thank You that You don't see the way we see. I thank you that you can take things like five loaves of bread and two little fish and feed you know, five to 10,000 people. I thank you that you can, can, can move beyond the way of scarcity of my heart into showing me and, and everyone that you can do amazing things through your people. So pour out your Spirit, O oh God. Pour out your Spirit, O oh God. Raise in my life and in the life of our church a spirit of abundance so that all will know the great things that you have done and you can do. May each one who hears these words have eyes that look for your goodness so that they can feel your abundance and give what little we have over to you. And just sit back and see the great things that you can do. Give this all to you, Almighty God. Amen. 
God does great things and will do great things in your life. And so see the eyes of God's abundance. Look for the goodness of God around you and give all you have to the God who can do great things. Go in the blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'll look forward to being with you next week. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, and remember to like and subscribe for updates. You can also visit us on our Facebook page at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks and have a blessed day.